Welcome to the HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. This event was recorded live at the Feakston Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. Enjoy. Wow. I first came to this festival when it started, and then I was packing goodie bags and shifting tables. So it's lovely to be here, but slightly nerve-wracking to be here on the stage <laughs> this year. I'm delighted to be able to introduce the people who have brought Vera from the page very wonderfully to the screen. I've had a ball since this whole process has started, and I'm really pleased that we'll be able to share some of those conversations with you today. So, introductions, in the order in which I met them, I think. So, first of all, Elaine Collins, who's executive producer on Vera. Elaine and I are probably as different as it is possible to be in lots of ways. Elaine shops. <laughs> she is, as you can see, glamorous. My default fashion style is jeans and wellies. Uh, Elaine, when she found out that there was a Vivian Westwood shop in Newcastle, <laughs> thought it might be possible to screen Vera up there. <laughs> 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 Elaine hates boats and small planes. I spend a lot of my time in Shetland. So what do we have in common? A passion for the word, I think. A passion for books and for character and for story and for getting detail right. And that's why I'm so lucky to have Elaine as my fairy godmother, looking <laughs> after me and looking after Vera. So Elaine Collins. <laughs> I first met Paul in Newcastle Central Station. He's a scriptwriter. He's done um, Lewis and Marple. And at the moment, he's working on a very big project for Channel 4 that seems to involve lots of jollies to India, which can't be bad. So Paul turned up with Elaine at Newcastle Central Station because place is so important for me in the, in the Vera books. And I'd said to Elaine, do you think there would be a chance of bringing the scriptwriter up to Northumberland before he starts writing? Oh, well, yeah, maybe we could do that. So they turn up. At this point, there isn't a commission. I want them to believe that I'm a very successful crime writer. <laughs> I drive a really clapped-out car. So my husband and I decided we would hire a car for the day <laughs> to drive them round Northumberland. And we hired this great big 4 by 4 monster. Tim was going to drive us. He had never driven this car before. So Elaine and Paul got in and we started driving and he would stall every couple of minutes and we <laughs> jerked our way around the Northumberland lanes. At one point, Elaine said, I'm really sorry, I feel sick. Just <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to drop me at a station. I need to get back to London. So, so poor Elaine got, got dropped at, um, at the station and uh, and that in a way was brilliant because it meant that Paul and I had two <laughs> days just talking and sharing ideas and sharing ideas about the characters and the books and how he might adapt them 
And I think that from that time, from that inauspicious beginning of everybody being carsick on a trip around the, the lanes of Northumberland, <laughs> developed a, a real close friendship and a working relationship that's, that's gone on ever since. And of course, the magnificent Brenda Blethyn, <laughs> who... Yeah. Who <laughs> 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 so here looks nothing at all like Vera Stanhope. Uh, I first met, I first came across the actor Brenda Blessing, I think in a quirky, slightly subversive sitcom about a village cricket team. Was it called Outside Edge? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you remember, I just loved it then. And of course, now double Oscar nominee and huge star. And when, um, when I heard from Paul, because Paul used to feed me bits of information because we'd become such pals, that um, ITV Studios had offered Vera to Brenda Blethyn. And um, when I heard that she said yes, I got so drunk. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I was so delighted. Actually, more drunk than I've ever got at Harrogate. <laughs> which is saying something. Um, and we met first, didn't we, in the old Swan Hunter mm. yard in, in uh, Wall's End, which is now the production office for, for Vera. And um, we did the, we did, um, the read-through, and I was in, very lucky to be invited to the first read-through. So the first time that all the cast had met and the first time that they'd read the script through, and, uh, I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> and in walked, walked Brenda, and she started reading, and I hope she won't mind me saying, but the accent wasn't spot on at that point, but still, I could feel the hairs on the back of my neck, and I knew that she was going to be a, an absolutely <laughs> wonderful Vera. So, and I'm delighted, and she's taken her rest day today <coughs> from filming Vera Series 4. So they're in the middle of series four <laughs> filming. Series three will be broadcast, I think, at the end of August and series four in January. And very kindly, she's offered to read a short piece for you. This is a real delight for me because this piece has never been read in public before. This is a bit of the new book, which is called Harbour Street, which will be out in January. And it's also episode one of series four. So it's already been adapted by Paul and um, you'll see it soon. So if you don't mind, I thought this was a good piece because it, it ties up. I can get out the chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's both Brenda's Vera and my Vera in this piece, I think. And it's um, from the novel Harbour Street. Um, Vera got the call while she was out shopping. And when her mobile buzzed in her pocket, she felt a joyous sense of relief. She rarely ventured into Newcastle except for work, and this was a nightmare. Christmas shopping. Hordes of fraught people with a kind of mad panic in their eyes, like the rabbits when her father, Hector, had gone lamping for meat. Hector had died years ago, and Vera had no other family to buy for. Christmas Day, she'd go to her hippie neighbours for dinner, and they'd all get drunk as skunks, but they wouldn't expect presents, except perhaps a decent bottle of whiskey, and neither would she. Then Holly, 
had devised this scheme, Secret Santa. <laughs> Names in a hat and pull out the person who'd received the gift. Vera had been hoping for Charlie, a bottle of whiskey would have suited him fine too. But Vera had picked Holly from the hat though. Holly wore perfume and makeup, smart clothes, even to work. <laughs> what could Vera possibly choose for her? So here she was in Phoenix, sweating because she was still in her outdoor clothes, surrounded by smart and shiny people, just wanting to do a runner, when her phone rang. Joe Ashworth on the other end. If he'd been there, she would have kissed him. What have you got for me, Joe? Murder, he said, and her heart lifted again. <laughs> yeah. Before the guilt set in, and she told herself that the victim would be someone's relative and friend. They hadn't died for her entertainment. A stabbing on the metro. Bit of a scuffle got out of hand. That seemed odd. It was the sort of thing you might get late at night, but not in the afternoon. No. She knew him well enough to sense that this wasn't going to be straightforward, and that pleased her too. She liked a bit of complication, a challenge. It's an elderly lady. Who found the body? Jessie, Joe Ashworth said. My daughter, Jessie. <laughs> well, I know where, where Vera came from because I was writing a book the late 90s. My publisher had decided that they didn't want traditional detective series anymore. They wanted great, big, standalone psychological novels. I think that was because they were publishing Minette Walters, who was selling a lot more books than I was and she, they decided that that's, that's what would sell for them. So I started writing this book that didn't have a traditional detective in it at all. It was about three women up in the hills in the Northumberland countryside. And I got stuck. And I think it was Raymond Chandler who said, if you get stuck on a book, have a door burst open and a guy come in with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do guns. Guns take research, and I'm bored by research. So, but I thought it might be a good trick to free me up and see how things would, would carry on from there. So I had a door burst open, and in came really, literally, fully formed Vera Stanup, more like a bag lady than a detective. <laughs> And I loved her, and she stayed in the book, and that book was called The Crow Trap. I took it to my agent, who loved it. I sent it to my editor, who said, yes, this might be your breakthrough novel, because publishers do say things like that. <laughs> and then they left it out <coughs> of the catalogue. So <laughs> not many people got to read it at that point. Um, but so that's, that was where... Vera first came from, and I'm going to talk to, to each of my guests now to find out how they responded first to Vera. So, Elaine, tell us how you found Vera, because it's a lovely story. Um, well, I, uh, my brief was to, um, I, I looked for a lot of different books in different genres, not just crime, but we decided at ITV that a, a few of the crimes we had were um, coming to a natural end, uh, Touch of Frost, for example, so... 
um, my boss and I decided to look for um, a new crime, a new iconic detective, and, and we wanted her to be female and um, to feel out of the ordinary, not, not like one we'd seen in television before. So, um, so I went on a troll and I read a lot of... Um, a lot of crime novels and uh, quite a lot of female ones and a lot of them really good but didn't feel as if we'd, we'd quite found our, our morse um, until I was in my local um, Crouch End Oxfam shop and, uh, and I found The Crow Trap. And, uh, and I was actually drawn to it because I, I, I love history and uh, because Anne's name um, drew my eye because it's <laughs> Anne Cleves. Um, so, um, so I picked it up and I read it and I thought, and when V recommended it, I just thought she feels completely different. And so I read all the rest of them and, uh, and I, took, I took the books into the development team and, and we all read them and, uh, and we all felt that, that we had something a bit special to move forward with. So you've decided that you want to option a book, and I know lots of the crime writers here will have had books optioned. And what happens after that? What happens between the option and the commission? Well, I can tell you what happened with Vera, it, because every journey is different, but with Vera, I, I discussed it with, uh, with my boss, Kate Bartlett, and with Julia, our head of development, who I work very closely with, and uh, we decided we wanted to pick them up, so we said to the network, we, you know, we, found, we, we gave them a description of it, and they said, that sounds brilliant, pick up the books, you know, option them, and, um, and get a writer on board, so, so we did that, and um, we got Paul on board. Uh, Paul was a producer at the BBC who became a a writer and, uh, and he and Julia and I had all known each other at the BBC and, and Julia had read um, Paul's spec script at the time which she thought was brilliant and, uh, and so did I. So, um, so we got Paul on board and Paul wrote um, three or four drafts of a treatment which we felt we were thrilled with and we, we sent it to the network just before Christmas and, uh, and said to Paul, this is so brilliant, we know they love it, uh, just go to script in January, uh, as soon as you finish your holidays go to script and between, in that two-week period, the network phoned up Kate Bartlett, my boss, and said, we absolutely hate this. Um, <laughs> um, we don't want you to do it, so just drop the project. She's really fusty. We don't understand why you want to do this project. So I never knew anything about this. <laughs> Neither did Paul. <laughs> I, well, they thought, they thought I didn't know anything about it, but then uh, we, we came in for a meeting after I delivered the first draft of the script. And the, the body language was kind of... It was like they were all crippled with arthritis. <laughs> and uh, I could tell something was on. And all they kept saying was, more Vera, just give us more Vera. We, um, we, had, so, no yeah. we had no choice but to carry on because yeah. we, obviously we didn't want to tell Paul this. And, and we'd gone to script. So we, so we just carried on as if they hadn't said it. And, uh, but didn't tell them we were carrying on. And uh, so Paul did um, three drafts. And meanwhile, we just kept telling him, Everybody loves it, and clearly he, he knew something was wrong. Um, everybody loves it, and uh, and when we when we got a draft we were happy with, we thought, well, we're going to have to send it back up. We don't have a choice, so so we sent it back up to them. And, and to do them justice, Laura Mackey read it and picked the phone up to Kate Bartlett immediately and said we were completely wrong. Uh, we love it, um, and yeah, we're going to give it to Peter Fincham, and we we want to commission it. So that was the Vera journey. Yes. Right. I, I actually hadn't heard that story till today. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just plain sailing all the way through. 
What, at what point do you think about casting? Where did, where did Brenda come on board? Um, as, as, as soon as it's greenlit, uh, one of the things you're going to have to do is, is get, um, certainly for your central character, you're going to look for a, a name actor. And, and really, immediately, everybody landed on Brenda. And she's a, she's a great um, favourite of Peter Fincham's too. So it, it was a kind of no-brainer, to be honest. Um, and, and it was brilliant, actually, because we, we sent it out to you and, and you said yes within about five days. It was incredible. Yeah. It was so fast. Well, I went out and bought Anne's books and um, launched into the first one, which was Crow Trap. I was so happy to be offered a role of a detective. I thought, oh, people are suddenly seeing I'm clever. I'm <laughs> this is going to be great, you know, and I can, you know... And I read through, I got halfway through, I thought, well, where is she? Yeah. <laughs> and then I turned the page and there was the person bursting through the door. <laughs> but she didn't have a gun, she had two carrier bags. And looked like a bag lady. I thought, well, what have I sprung to mind <laughs> for, for this? And I thought, hold <laughs> up a minute. And so I read on, and I just completely fell in love with the character. And, and you're right, I responded uh, within the week. Uh, and I read the other books too. And I just loved her. I loved the fact that she came uh, actually with no baggage. There was no, she's just an ordinary woman who has a brilliant analytical mind. And she um, doesn't come hampered with romance or glamour. And she just gets on with the job in hand. And I thought that was so, so refreshing. Mm. And I thank my lucky stars. <coughs> you, you went into that shop. for Anne's work. <laughs> so, Elaine, your executive producer, what does an executive producer do? Well, I, I originally produced the show, the first two series, so, and then I became executive producer on the third series. And basically, it just I guess it's a promotion, really. Um, it, so you then employ the producer, and then you work with the producer to, to put a lot of the rest of the creative team um, on board. I still... Um, some executive producers stand back from script a little bit, but I don't. I still stay very, very fully involved in the in the script editing process. So from that point of view, I'm maybe a little bit unusual because I'm over, over every draft. I don't come in at the last minute and give notes. Um, so I think every executive producer does it differently, but basically it sort of means you're in charge. But that's because Elaine's great at books and scripts, and I think the script is very much at the heart of good mm. drama. And now's a good time to talk to Paul about that. You are always incredibly busy. So why did you go for Vera when Elaine made that phone call and asked you to do it? Uh, well, uh, for me, the, uh, as with everyone, the first experience was sitting down and reading the book. Um, and the first book that I read was actually the book that we made as the pilot, which was uh, Hidden Depths. Um, and I have to say, it's the same thing. As soon as I, uh, you know, uh, uh, broke into the book and we discovered Vera and she's wandering around in her kitchen, pulling some pheasant casserole out of the freezer. <laughs> you know, there was a kind of, um, there's a, uh, she lives alone, but there's a flintiness about her, uh, which I love. Uh, there's no self-pity um, and a charm and a humour. Um, and, I, and I think it's great to have someone who we're not required to feel sorry for um, as a viewer. Uh, and uh, she exploded out of the book. And, and as you say, there, there was something effortlessly fully formed about her. Um, uh, and I, I, think, I think the other big thing for Anne, the other uh, 
kind of core, and another core skill of her writing is the, is the mm. sense of landscape and that Definitely. sense of coastline, uh, that sense of the northeast. Uh, you know, and Shetland, obviously, with that isolated community, uh, is so vivid and was something that naturally would lend itself uh, to um, television, to screen. Um, and so, uh, you know, the next thing was actually the, the trip that you mentioned when we went up and you rented the SUV, um, <laughs> you know, and... and uh, Tried desperately to impress. It was very impressive, except for the fact that uh, Tim was driving and you were in charge of uh, uh, orienteering. Oh, yes, uh, I forgot so I that just, I, Yeah, I just hope to Christ you've got a sat-nav. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a great few days and we, we just wandered around and talked in a very... Uh, a kind of arbitrary way about the character and the world and how to, you know, turn it into television. And, and at one point, um, Anne kind of leaned over and said, look, I, I do know that it's different. It's, it's a different thing. Mm. There will be two Veras. There's the Vera of the books and there's this other creature, the Vera of the screen. And, um, you know, uh, they'll lead parallel lives, um, but, you know, uh, they can leave each other alone as well. And so that was a, that was a, a wonderfully liberating thing mm -hmm. to hear. Um, I think it's very nice. It was great for us, wasn't it, to actually mm -hmm. let the writer and the scriptwriter, you know, spend time together and not desperately try and keep us apart in case mm -hmm. we all go mad and the power goes to our heads, <laughs> which it no doubt did, in fact. Um, but uh, so, you know, and, and it's been a yeah, it's been a, it's a been cool a part joy. of it. Yeah. yeah, so how do you do it? You get this book and you read the novel. How do you then turn that into a, a treatment and then a script? Um, I, you know, this is just, I mean, my process is, is, is just the one I land on, uh, and I, I expect everyone will come up with a different answer. For me, uh, read the book a couple of times, get it into your bones, uh, and then actually put it to one side. I mean, the big challenge, of course, is, is, is one of uh, boiling it down, distilling uh, a great big book that... As, as a reader, you might read over a number of nights, you know, into an experience that you will sit down over 90 minutes and watch in one pop, you know. So it's, it's about boiling it down, but it's also about um, making it uh, uh, feel as, 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 as focused and, uh, uh, I guess, uh, sharply focused as possible. Um, uh, so I put the book aside and then try and rewrite it myself as, as an outline. Uh, and then having done that, go back to my notes on the book and then retro trawl it for things that I might have missed and anything where I feel that maybe I've, I've missed the spirit of the book, you know. Um, it's that elusive thing of trying to catch the spirit of something, you know. Um, yeah. I would, I would hate to write for screen. I think it's stressful. Your deadlines are so tight. Why do you enjoy it? Why would anyone <laughs> put themselves through that? Um, uh, yes, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, do you know what? I think, I think part of it is... Um, uh, I, um, I would probably class myself as a kind of frustrated, failed actor. You know, I, I loved acting as a kid. I loved acting at school and university. Um, I wasn't very good, uh, and I was a little bit shy of other actors because uh, they were very touchy-feely with each other. And then uh, I lost my hair, which was, you know, that was the deal-breaker. Um, <laughs> and, and so in a way, um, you know, when you, uh, a script is like a little toolbox, and you, you write this thing, and it's rather dry on the page, uh, and then uh, 50 people go away with it, each with their own magical skill, and they throw it into this three-dimensional thing, um, this film, uh, with uh, and actors somehow breathe life into lines and find the life around the lines. Uh, and the end result is never quite what you expected. It's never the film in my head. Um, it's always different, uh, and that you know, always takes a little bit of getting used to. But um, uh, I, I think it's that, that, that alchemy is, is, for me, the joy. That's the, that's the real uh, pull of the job. Um, so, yeah. That's, 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 that's it for me. Would you ever write a novel? 
You know, I would, I would uh, love to write a novel um, if I, uh, as long as I did it for the right reasons, not out of just loathing for the television industry. Um, <laughs> you know, if I could, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, and also, I, I, you know, I think the thing about a, a, um, a television or film script is they are quite short, you know, and, and a book is a long haul and you're, it's, a lonely, it's a lonely journey, I imagine. You know, and you don't have someone... Uh, every couple of weeks calling up and patting you on the head and, you know, feeding you a dog biscuit and telling you how well you're doing. Um, so uh, it would, I'd have to draw on resources in myself and also, you know, who knows if I can, but I'd love to at some stage, yeah. Brenda, people are always coming up to me and they say, oh, you know, I do love Vera. And what they mean is they love your Vera because you capture her <laughs> so well, I think. So you could, you could be so picky about roles, and you've explained a bit about why you went for Vera. Was it? Well, I mean, I just found her a very, very refreshing character, um, and uh, of a certain age, you know, that they mm. don't come along um, too often, although they do seem to be, nowadays, I think they've, uh, the makers are suddenly realising they're catering to the baby boomers who mm. are now of a certain age. Mm. So um, I found it very, very exciting uh, prospect to be playing her. I'm also, um, personally, Brenda is a, a problem solver. Um, I love games and brain teasers and things like that. When I was a kid, we didn't have a television uh, or a wireless quite often because it was cut off, we hadn't paid the bill. Um, so Dad would set us puzzles to keep us all quiet. And so we'd do that for hours uh, in the evenings. And um, so that way, mindset um, is something that... Uh, uh, I should have been a forensic scientist, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, jobs aren't that thick on the ground, though. You know, it's... Um, I'm lucky to have this one. Well, we're, we're very yes. lucky to have you, I think. <laughs> so, how do we do it? Because Vera started off as a character in my head. I dreamt her up out of my imagination. And you have a script on a page. How do you go about turning that script on the page yeah. into the character that we see? Yeah, you know, I often hear the expression, oh, you've made it your own. And I don't really, if I'm honest, understand what that means. Um, I think an actor has a responsibility to try and get as accurately as possible what the writer has written, not to try and improve on it. Why would you want to improve on it? You wouldn't be doing it if it needed improving on. Um, certainly something like Vera, but I think it's to be as honest as, as you possibly can be. Of course it's going to look like me and sound like me, but that's... Uh, nothing to do with me, in a way. I don't have to do anything to make that happen. And, um, and I think uh, all actors have a responsibility to be as truthful as they possibly can. Might get it wrong sometimes, but the endeavour is to get what the author intended, or um, Paul's uh, screenplay. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting because when I started off writing Vera, I had a certain picture in my head, and I still have that picture in my head. But when I'm writing dialogue... I hear your voice. I found that very flattering. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry about that. And, and, some, <laughs> and sometimes when I'm writing conversation, I think, oh, Bren would make a good job of that. If it's a sort of quite a witty, malicious, put-down mm. line. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, but like, I but in the excerpt I just read, there mm. were there were laughs. But I'm only uh, performing what you've written, mm. yeah. so I don't uh, see that as making it mine. That's theft. <laughs> <laughs> it's yours. You work with lots of different script writers because obviously Paul mm. has written a script on every series, I think, and and there are new mm. script writers coming along. Do you ever read a script and think, my Vera wouldn't say that? Um, occasionally there'll be um, a phrase here or there, or, or there might be something left out that I thought Vera mm. would say. Um, and if it's Paul's uh, work, um, I, I shoot off a message straight away, say, what do you think of this? And uh, this will be going on and it'll be resolved. Mm. And, um, and there's all, we, we can always come back to you if it's one of yours. So... Um, yeah, I mean, not, I'm not cavalier about changing something because it would suit me better. But I just think... And, and also, sometimes things get changed by mistake because of the pressures of work, because you learn the, the scenes the night before, you learn them as well as you can. But then on the next day when you're filming, there's all sorts of things to remember. The location might have changed. It's raining or you've got to do it inside. Mm. And it's, the way it's blocked is in your head is not the way it actually is. So you have to remember all these other things whilst trying to remember the dialogue as well. So sometimes a word might get changed here and there accidentally. And then sometimes it's not enough time to redo it to get it right. But I don't know how other actors work, but I learn the thought first before the line, so I keep going if <laughs> the mm. line's right or not. I just because I know what she's thinking. Oh, so you mm. think you think like I learn the thought. That's a really mm. interesting mm. line, isn't it? Mm. I learn the thought before I learn the line. Mm. I love mm. that. Mm. And again, it must be quite hard because each episode has a different director. And how does that mm. work? Because I presume they come with a different vision of. Vera every time. Yeah. And you and Elaine really are the only constant factors, aren't you? Yeah. And, and a lot you're, of the you're crew like the guardians of the... Mm -hmm. And David, wonderful David oh, Leon. Of course, the wonderful. Of course. Oh, the gorgeous, very gorgeous pretty David, David Leon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it's probably more difficult for the director, actually, than us, because, you know, we're kind of a team, and it's a bit of an adventure each time an, a new director comes up with a different flavour. But I don't think it's uh, wise to think, oh, I know it all, I'll tell him how this should be done. Otherwise, you never learn anything. You know, sometimes they come with really good ideas that enhance what we're doing. So, um, it's nice. Usually. Usually, Usually, yeah. <laughs> Not always. Not always, no. I love it when the cast and crew come north to film because it's almost like my family's coming home and I go down to the production office and even if I don't get on set, it's, it's sort of comforting to know that they're there. And one of the things I think I'm most proud of about Vera is the Swan Hunter shipyards, which mm. was when I first moved to the northeast, was just full of life, and they were still building ships there. And when, at the end of the day, of the working day, streams of people streaming out of those gates at the top towards the metro station, just hundreds and hundreds of people were employed there. And for ages, it was just derelict, and there was nobody there. And um, it, was just, it just got very, very sad. But now the production office is there, 
and the police station is built inside the big office building, yeah. isn't it? We feel like we're coming home mm. every yeah. time we go there. Those scenes, the office station scenes, are usually done at the end of each episode because it's mostly interior. So they get all the exteriors done in case the weather changes. And then we end up at Swan Hunter. Oh, it's lovely. It's really mm. nice. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you remember that... Uh, Vera's house, I was going to say Brenda's house, Vera's house, um, the, the first location for the house, it's beautiful, but a mad location because some director decided it would be a really, really good plan to choose this house on Holy Island, which is tidal <laughs> and miles from anywhere and you can only get to at low water. So very sensibly, they've also built a scale mm. model, haven't they, of mm. your, your yeah. house, the interior of your we, house. That, that was only the second series, wasn't it? We, we had to do without the house for the we, first We didn't use the house in yeah. the first yeah. series. In the second series, we built the kitchen interior. Um, so but it's so brilliantly made. It's you think fantastic. It's in the yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We get fooled we, uh, while we're in there filming. Yeah. And, oh, no, it's a set. It's, it's so <laughs> well done. Yeah, so, so I'm so proud that, that we're back in Swan Hunter and it might not be making ships anymore, but it's making great film. And we're making stuff still and employing local people and mm. kids straight out of the, the media studies course at Northumbria University are getting jobs there and a lot of the crew are local, aren't yeah, they? And yeah. extras and, um, and, and local actors are getting a chance in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So, yeah, for me, it's like you coming home, but it takes up four months of your year. How does that... Five. Five <laughs> months of your year. How does that work? Yeah. Um, it's, and it's too far to go home of a weekend. We do a six-day week, five-day week. So if it's a two-day weekend, I can get home. But um, most of my work is away from home. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of used to it, Anne. Uh, Michael comes up, okay, my husband comes up occasionally. Um, but, I mean, I just love it in the northeast. I love it there. Uh, and, in fact, I wish I'd bought a, um, a house or something mm -hmm. up here. Um, the first three series, I was living in a hotel, beautiful hotel, lovely, but all I wanted to do was boil an egg. Mm. And, <laughs> and do my laundry without it coming back gift-wrapped, you know. <laughs> I just <laughs> so I said, oh, please, can I have a flat? So I'm now in a very nice flat, um, so it's much more comfortable. <laughs> so this is a question, really, for, for the whole team before we throw it open to questions from the floor. Um, my sense is that my story is very unusual because I have such a brilliant relationship with all of you and with the, the cast, the rest of the cast, including the lovely David and the crew. And that seems very unusual. Why does it work in this case? And why are some um, scriptwriters, producers and production teams so reluctant to involve the author of the books? I think it's really down to personalities and who's making a show, to be honest. Um, it, it seems strange to me, to be honest, that you, the, that you would find source material and then choose to not have a relationship with the person who's created it in the first place. That just seems mad to me. And I, but I think people feel... I think it's a control issue. I think that they think if they, if they open up the potential for that person to be part of it, that they'll become difficult, dictatorial. Um, 
Personally, I've never had that experience. Um, you can't always get a book onto the screen, but you love them all and you want to, so the well is there. But I've never found any of the writers that, uh, whose books I've picked up to be anything else but lovely and, and completely understand that the process is separate from the screen. You know, you were talking about that earlier. I mean, I, I, you know, Anne has been so generous and... and um, She's just been helpful in every possible way. So why you would not want that when you're making a show, I can't understand. And also Anne's husband, Tim, is an expert on uh, birds. Uh, birds. <laughs> and, and since Vera's into birds, whenever there's a bird question, and I, I'll, I'll throw a random bird into the script because I'm not all that expert. And then a, 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 a very polite but testy note will come back. So Tim says that actually that would be a raptor. So <laughs> get straight, you know. but, I, but I think there's also, um, uh, I think there's a little bit of fear as well. There's a, I mean, I think in, the, in the, the sort of culture of television, sometimes people are a little bit afraid that, that you know, the nightmare scenario is the, the kind of the, the original writer Mm. Uh, publicly washing their hands of the adaptation yeah, and saying, God, this is a disaster, yeah. it's not my vision at all. So um, uh, a, a, a slightly kind of foolish response to that is sometimes to try and keep them away, you know, mm. in case they're going to start, you know, walking over the script and the production in their hobnail boots because they think they're... Um, but uh, it's nonsense, you know. Mm. You, you, it's about personality. Anne is, is, is very generous, um, but um, I, think it's, I think it's a model for how, how it should always happen, mm. you know. I think it works really well. I think what I love is that I sometimes get very quirky questions from scriptwriters, and it's the scriptwriters that I have the, the greatest, the scriptwriters and the script editors that I have the, the, the greatest relationship with. So I had one from, um, from a scriptwriter who's written an, the script I think that you're filming now. Um, I've got this scene, and I've got Vera on her own at home at eight o'clock at night. What do you think she might be doing? <laughs> and so we were able to have this really sort of interesting conversation, the two of us, about what we thought Vera might be doing. And I thought, well, she might be working, but doing some really tedious stuff like staff appraisals. And it's piled <laughs> up on her kitchen table, and she's just sort of hating every minute of it. So whatever call comes through is is just a relief. relief. Or, and then I thought I saw you as well out in the garden trying to tame that garden mm -hmm. that was Hector's to and trying to bring things. some. Yeah. yeah. So it's lovely when you get, you just get <laughs> us stuff and feel involved with this this wonderful project. And also you know everyone. So, you know, we have police advisors, forensic advisors, <laughs> soil experts. I mean, we just have all these people whose phone numbers we have now that yeah. we can ring it. You know, Helen yeah. Pepper has it's been amazing. incredible, hasn't yes. she, our yes. forensics. Some of our forensic expert. people are real forensic officers, mm. aren't they? Mm. Yeah, we've developed yeah, a relationship yeah. with Teesside University. So they send their third year um, <laughs> students who are doing forensic and um, crime scene management up to be the scene of crime officers on Vera. They, they think it's very good practice for them. So if anybody says they don't look real, actually they are nearly real. <laughs> <laughs> I think at that point we'll probably throw it open to questions from the floor. There is a roving mic. Please ask a question. Oh, one already right at the back there. Thank you. You've talked about how, how Vera was sort of born in the first book. Did you realise then that she was such a strong character that she could become a series? And, and also now that she's developed to where she is, how far ahead do you plan for her? Do you start having lots of ideas beyond the current book? Um, 
I don't plan anything in my life or my work to any degree at all. So when I start a book, Harbour Street started off with a, just seeing um, a young couple on the metro in Newcastle. And so I wrote the first scene, and then I needed to know what was going to happen next, because I'm a reader. And instead of turning the pages and finding out, I had to write the next chapter to find out. So that's how that works. Um, I suppose Vera, thinking about where she might have come from, she was um, an antidote to the feminist... Even the feminist writers like Sarah Paretsky and Sue Grafton, their central characters might not be drop-dead gorgeous, but they're fit, aren't they? And they run, and they're up all night fighting crime, but then they're jogging at 5 o'clock in the morning. No, <laughs> real women don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so she's an antidote to that. And, and I grew up... I was born in the mid-50s, and I grew up with um, strong, determined, middle-aged women who maybe had lost men in the war or had never married because the war got in the way and they just found that they enjoyed their independence too much. Um, and they would have called themselves spinsters, probably. And they were hospital matrons or taught Sunday school or were librarians and they wore tweed skirts with frayed hems and flat, sensible shoes. And I think she came from that too. And it does... Yeah, this, is, this is a sort of hobby horse a bit, but when I see female police officers doing press conferences now, I do worry that they're sort of shiny and made up. And I would rather have someone competent than somebody who looked good. So that's, that's, that's the answer, I think. Yeah. Are there any more questions? Any fashion tips? <laughs> 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 Yeah, we've got a question. That's good. Hi. Um, this just sort of goes on to something Anne said earlier. When you see your books turned into television, and you see actors playing the roles, you said you now hear Brenda as Vera, but does having them in the television affect how they then perceive on the page, or are you able still to keep them very separate? Um. I think I do keep them separate. As I say, I hear Brenda's voice when I'm writing dialogue. Um, and that's, that's good because, in a way, it's easier writing because I'm not having to imagine the voice. I can hear it. I know it. It's, very, it, it's maybe a bit lazy writing. But things like, obviously, the paths are going to diverge in terms of who's still in the book and who's on the television. Holly who we, um, when Brenda read the bit about um, Holly in that piece from Harbour Street, Holly is still in the book, but the lovely woman who played her in the television got off to do bigger and bolder things, and so she's not there anymore. But I'll still keep Holly in the book, so things do change. And, and there was a thing with, uh, do you remember um, Charlie? It was a character I really loved. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. wrote him into the pilot, and then... 
it being television, we uh, ran out of money, so we had to cut the part, and, <laughs> and we had an extra playing Charlie. Mm. And, the, and uh, Elaine and I were particularly sad about that, so when we wrote the series, we had this little joke in the lift that why don't we just have a new one and we'll call him Kenny. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, we decided he should be Scottish. Because yes. I try and shoehorn Scottish yeah, yeah. people into Scottish the show everywhere. Yeah. If, you, if you watch the show, you'll, you'll see there's a lot of Scottish actors. Most in of them are Elaine's mates. It's like a party of, of Scottish actors. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's how that works. Hello, this is a question for Anne. Um, when you have you met any of your schoolmasters or mistresses since you've become so famous, and have they sort of said, "We always knew you'd make it," or "You were terrible at composition," or mm. have you been back to your school? I've been back to my school, but I'm so old that most of my teachers are dead now. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it took a long time. You know, I was, for, a, for many years, I was that publishing euf euphemism, the mid-list author, so nobody had heard about me. So, no, um, that, that has never happened. I did go back to my school and read a piece that had been published in the school magazine, and it was dreadful. Man, could it have used some editing. <laughs> I'm just so grateful for editors now. I think editors should have their name on the front of the book. <laughs> there was a question here. It's linked to the first question, really. Um, you've been asked if you're going to carry on writing, Vera. She's clearly not in the first flush of youth. So, you're <laughs> are you ageing? You know, she's set off not yeah. a young woman. It can be an issue with detectives. It is, but, but the government now wants us all to work until we're 70. So, I think... <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll be all right for a few years yet. And blindly, look at, look at Brenda. She could pass for about 45. So I think we're safe for a bit, aren't we? So I think we'll be okay for a while. There's a question at the back. Thank you. I'm going to speak from the benefit of uh, seeing the television series more than reading the books, I'm afraid. Um, the one thing I want to know about Vera, and it's... In, throughout the episodes, I, I just don't know her deeply as would come out if she had a relationship or past and or relationships as exposing her character at a deeper levels. And I wonder why that isn't the case. I can tell you why it isn't in the book, because I just like the idea of a, a single woman being a detective, but it'd be interesting to see how the script... I know Val thinks she's gay. Val McDermott is convinced that Vera's gay. <laughs> Have a gay relationship. And maybe she is, but I think... Because I'm thinking about those women who I knew when I was a child, and sex wasn't so much of... We went, didn't talk about it so much then. But, and, and Paul keeps trying to bring in past relationships in the script. Well, um, in too. fairness, one. you know, um, no, no, because uh, uh, actually in the first, in Hidden Depths, the first one that I read, there is a thing, actually, when she's poking around in the kitchen, when she says, of course, there was that, that old love, but we won't talk about him or her <laughs> or them. Um, but uh, uh, so there is a little, there's a hint, which, I mean, what's interesting is I have, I'll be honest, I, I've, I've, I've put stuff in, I've tried, we've tried it, and... Um, there are, little, there are one or two very, very small hints in, in one or two episodes that people may have noticed, but um, it doesn't... I, 
always come up, I don't know what you think, Brenda, but I always come away with the feeling that we almost don't need it. She, she well, I don't, I don't it. think you need it. I mean, uh, there are many intriguing people um, in our lives that we don't know or their private business. Um, and uh, talking television, uh, what's that one with the wonderful Michael Kitchen? Um, Foil. Foil's War. You never see much about his private life either. And it just concentrates, uh, concentrates on the case in hand. And I find that kind of refreshing. Otherwise, you go to see the private side. There's the... Um, Scott and Bailey, is it? Mm. Scott and Bailey. Well, it's all about the private lives. Um, and I, I just find it refreshing that you don't have to delve. And it keeps you intrigued. It keeps you wondering. And you might get a little crumb of information here and there and make up your mind about the character, but then you might find out you're quite wrong. <laughs> Which is also nice. <laughs> Do we have any more questions? Yeah, oh, some right at the back. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm just interested about the format of the um, television series because it's very satisfying having those 90 minutes um, in, 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 intact, as it were, and a number of other series have, from having a, a 90 minute, have gone on to have one on two different nights or one part one week and one part the next week. And I find that very unsettling. Mm -hmm. um, I hope there's no chance that Vera will be split. <laughs> We've, we've fought very hard to make sure that it, it, it stay, they stay as single films and they're very much constructed as single films. So, um, but there's, there's not been a lot of pressure on us. I think there was a hint last year that they might split them into two, but, but, but we, I, like you, I, I think it's much less satisfying. I think, I think they, they're just, I think they're, they're a perfect shape actually at 90 minutes. They just each feels like its own film, but with kind of slight, uh, very, tiny serial elements going across them, which I think is quite satisfying and intriguing. But I think you're right that there is, there's a fashion right now, isn't there, mm. for, um, which, which is very exciting in a different way, for, mm. for stretching a, a single case out across two or more nights. Um, but um, it's, it's quite... It, it's a, it's a, if in British television, it's a traditional format, that two-hour thing. I don't think anyone else really does it. And I think yeah. we'd, we'd love to hang on to it if we can. That it's lovely a, in a The family Sunday sits night. down, it's, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's a night in with yeah. Vera. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect Sunday night, yeah. We're all dying of the heat here, I think. <laughs> Everybody's a bit lethargic. Can we have another question, please? Yeah, one at the back there, Gemma. Just a, a question for Brenda. Um, you mentioned that uh, the series now takes up five months of of your life in each year. I'm just wondering, when you're um, playing a character like this, how easy is it to shed the character completely between series? Or does do elements of the character continue to live with you? Uh, no, she kind of stays with me, <laughs> really. Can't shrug her off. <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, particularly with uh, in this break, we've just had, we finished the third series, I already knew I was doing the fourth series um, uh, without the third series even going out. So uh, she was still uh, with me, even though I've been abroad making another film. 
um, Vera is still very, very much with me. Um, ordinarily, you know, you go home at night. If the thing's finished, that's a wrap. The, the whole thing's finished. You go home, yeah, on to the next thing. But, um, but it, it, for you, if you're a writer, once you put down your pen, you don't stop thinking about the project in hand. You'll be having your breakfast or going to a party. It'll still be there, churning over. You can't really put it down if you're working on something. I can't, anyway. I think, I think the, the great thing about, about Vera is that, again, people in the northeast are so fond of her, aren't they? Oh, wherever yeah, you go yeah, and film, yeah. you get people, and being quite respectful mm. and quite nice. But I remember you saying that you were filming a scene in Blythe, I think, the, 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 show, the last series, and it turned into a kind of street party because <laughs> yes. everybody was out watching. They chairs were out. Chairs <laughs> out, bo <laughs> bottles of wine being passed <laughs> up and down the street, and it turned into a bit of a celebration. Oh. There was nearly a, nearly a terrible incident in Marks and Spencer's the other day. <laughs> there was a, an elderly lady at the top of the escalator going along the flat bit, you know, just before it starts going down, and she was just getting to this bit, just to the edge, and she turned around and went, oh, Vera! <laughs> <laughs> and, and started to try and run back along the escalator going that way. I had to run on and catch her. <laughs> she says, oh, I've been saved by Vera. <laughs> People are very aware of where the film is, is happening, as Val said about them filming up in Almuth, but... I noticed there was a tweet yesterday from someone who had, um, because you've been filming in Whitley Bay, which is where I live, and been on the beach at Whitley Bay. I do wish people would stop moaning about the weather. Just seen the filming of Vera. Poor Brenda is still wearing that overcoat. <laughs> <laughs> With a quilted jacket underneath. <laughs> I think we have time for one more question, if anybody... One right right at the back, I think. Um, oh, is there and one down here, too? Um, we've, I've come all the way from Hawaii, and I'm wondering about production in America. Or not production, but distribution. Distribution in America of Vera? Uh, Vera is on PBS in lots of states now, so okay. we hope that it will spread countrywide. It's also available on Netflix and Acorn and Amazon, well, I think. So Maybe you can write to Hawaii and say um, <laughs> I will. need to take it on. I, I think we'll, we'll get no Elaine to talk to the production team about that. <laughs> okay, thanks. And there was a question down here? Yeah. Well, it sounds like getting the, the accent right was pretty important, and I'm tone deaf to UK accents, <laughs> but I just wondered for Brenda, um, what was, how difficult was it to get it right? Um, well, I don't know if I have got it right. You but have the, got it um, right, actually. Yeah. Everybody in Newcastle Everybody tells me how are, good it is. Yeah, yeah. are very, very generous and say, well, they said it was the best they'd heard in the thing. <laughs> but it couldn't be too strong an accent, you know, for sales um, overseas. Um, but I would go into the town and talk to people in the town. Um, I had tuition. Um, I'm with David all day long. He's from the area. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, I just keep... keep. Well, to be honest, I don't actually think of it anymore because... I'm up there half the year almost, and, and I'm with people from there. And it's just, just kind of sinks in. 
Um, but I was in the taxi the other day, um, coming from the station to my flat, and um, the, the man says, oh, well, you look just like that Vera. I said, because um, <laughs> I said, oh, take me to such and such street. He said, you look like her. I said, oh, well, yes, I do play Vera. He says, well, you've changed your accent. I mean, <laughs> he said, you sound like you're from the South. I said, well, I am from the South. He says, where? I thought you were local. <laughs> so I was really pleased about that. Still charge me, though. <laughs> well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much to Brenda Blethyn, Elaine Collins, and Paul Thank you for listening to this event by Harrogate International Festivals. Don't forget to rate and subscribe for this podcast. For more events, recordings, resources and information about our arts charity, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com. <laughs>